A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Cocoons of Horror, the podcast that revisits classic horror films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a look at David Cronenberg's classic, The Fly. Gory, terrifying, and a little sad, The Fly tells a story of what horror lies in store for you if you have sex with Jeff Goldblum. With me, as always, to talk about it is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Steve, have you ever read an entire Playboy article? Um, no, I don't think I have. I think I tried to ironically once. <laughs> Earlier today, I did for the very first time. I read the original The Fly short story oh. that was published in Playboy in 1957. And it's it's decent. It's not bad. Okay. You're a fan of short stories, aren't you? Yes, I am. I am a fan of short stories. So was it published initially in Playboy? Is that when it first came out? Or was or did Playboy just pick it up? I do believe it was initially published in Playboy magazine. And hmm. then within the year, they had that first movie, you know, the first 1958, The Fly, on the screen with Vincent Price and whatnot. What a different film that would have been if it had been like, Playboy Presents The Fly. Well, I think that they brought a little bit of Playboy into the 1986 Fly. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I didn't realize how horny flies were. <laughs> 
I guess maybe <laughs> is it a, is it an issue of horniness or is it just a sense of urgency because you know you're not going to live that long? But one begets the other, I'm sure. I think, I, I think that's why I get kind of horned up when I'm in an elevator because I'm like, what if I get stuck? And what if you know, who, who are these people around me? And I start ranking them. <laughs> A little something I never knew about you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you get horned up in an elevator, huh? Yeah, I don't like to go in alone if possible. I don't know if we've ever been in an elevator together, so I don't think I've ever witnessed this. <laughs> you didn't realize it, but uh, you—I you, think you were number three. <laughs> Out of how many? Good night. That's it. I can't remember if it was on the horny factor or who I'm going to eat if we have to. Uh, <laughs> sure. When it comes to that, when you when you get that overlap on the Venn diagram of people that I want to have sex with and people that I wouldn't mind eating, that's a pretty sweet spot. All right. So uh, I have to say I didn't see any of the sex in this movie before because I had only ever seen TV versions of uh. this film before. And believe me, it's it's a lot more disjointed, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine when you cut out like almost the first twenty minutes of the film, which is basically just all Goldblum sex all the time. Right, which you know is it's pretty good formula, no matter what decade. <laughs> Was this the first thing you'd ever seen Goldblum in? Um, that's a good question. Well, no, no, because I, I, so I saw this movie for the first time last year and I had, I don't know if I'd like seen, I mean, it must've been on, right? Like, I feel like I had seen more of it than maybe I realized. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it had been on and I also used to get, um, Fangoria, uh, trading cards. So I had a lot of those scenes. They would be just on like little stills from the scenes would be on the cards. So, so I knew of the gore. But again, I think it, probably like you, I don't think I ever saw it other than like on the edited version of on TV. And I was only seeing little bits of it. I'm trying to think of my first true Goldblum experience. For me, it might have been, uh, I don't know when the first Jurassic Park came out. 93, 94. Yeah, that seems, that seems late for you to get introduced to, uh, to Goldblum. Because it was 93 is when it came out. Earth Girls are easy for sure. I had seen before that, 1988. Uh, I I did not see the Big Chill. Now in Earth Girls are easy. Does Goldblum is he the main character? Yes, alongside Gina Davis, so they reunite for. for sure. This. Okay. See, I'd never seen that movie, and I was wondering, is this the only time Goldblum was the featured actor? No, because in 88, what, he was in Vibes, also with uh, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> no. No no memory of this. Okay, okay. Yeah, and uh, gosh, Transylvania 65000, he teams up with Ed Begley Jr., also a Gina Davis overlap. That was 85. Does he really? Yeah. And those two, those two dated for a while, or were they married for a while? Uh, him and Ed Begley Jr. You know, I don't know um, what their relationship was. I know, I mean, they seem to have good chemistry on set of Transylvania Six Five Thousand, but mm -hmm. yeah, but, I was uh, thinking more of Gina Davis. Oh, gotcha. Well, they were were they married or were they were they one of those couples? I know that, that like... they were a, they were sort of a couple. I I don't know if they were actually married or not. Not, not that it matters. 
uh, just out of curiosity. So I had seen this film several times, just turning it, you know, flipping through the channels. And of course, I don't know if I'd ever seen the begin how this film begins, but there's not much of a lead in to this film. You know, they start at that art scene and it just jumps right into the plot. And I you know the the economy of this story is amazing. And I think that the, I love I, I agree. And I was going to speak to that, too, is like how it just pretty much picks up with like the fly already in progress. And yeah, right. <laughs> and, it, and it and it totally works. I mean, there's no you realize that I get it. I get everything that was was you know, basically preceded this. Uh, they did it in conversational exposition without any flashbacks. And I thought it just really worked. I mean, I really enjoy how it just gets, get into it. Let's why don't you come over and I'll uh, make your stocking disappear. You know, and it's just like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> it's go time. <laughs> He's Goldblum is like, like, I don't know how you feel, but there's definitely sex appeal. But it's always creepy, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how he pulls that off. Well, that's really the the uh, that's apex uh, sex appeal, right? I think once you reach like sex appeal, there's a lot of like, ooh, you know, how attractive somebody is, and maybe how accessible they are. But with Goldblum, it's this fascination of like, I'm 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 attracted, I'm terrified, I'm repulsed, I can't I can't get enough. Like I don't feel like he has my best interest in mind, but I'm willing to go on the journey. Well, in this film, at least he gives off this vibe that he doesn't really understand how society works. Like, he's not very comfortable with people. He's constructed this world for himself where he can just do his research. He's figured out how to get funded without much fuss. Uh, It could be that he hasn't been around... He hasn't been at a party like that in a very long time, or he just doesn't work at parties like that. He doesn't want to network, he wants to work. He wants to work. That's that that is who he is. He's very much married to his work and of course at the very end of the film he becomes his work, right? So mm-hmm. He does have that vibe where he's like I'm not even sure I I'm almost creeping myself out. Like <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so sexy. It's a little bit repulsive even to me, you know. <laughs> it is amazing that like I mean, I guess I, is he the 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 quintessential male butterface? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's there he has a quality. I was thinking, but that's just that's Goldblum. Goldblum convinces you. Yeah. Through his sheer Goldblumness, mm-hmm. that he's attractive to the point now where, like, I would never argue that Jeff Goldblum isn't a smoke show, <laughs> but but you look at him and then you're like, ah, wait a minute, how how are you doing this to me, Goldblum? If you were, if you cast Adam Driver as Goldblum's uh, grandson or something like that, <laughs> I would totally buy it. Yeah, I mean, Driver's definitely but Driver does it. it it's it's interesting. His feels somehow he's aggressively made me attracted to him, <laughs> whereas Goldblum, it it feels hypnotic. If it, it it feels like at some point someone's gonna snap their fingers and we're all gonna go, ah, he's not attractive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you have an elevator pitch for this movie? It's just simply Goldblum. 
even if he's gross. <laughs> Brundle Bloom. <laughs> it really is. It's weird. It's like someone took sex appeal and creepiness and put it in that machine. Right. And spliced them together, and on the other side came out Goldblum. Right. Yeah, I don't know how it works. I mean, he is... And he is such a perfect uh, actor for this role. And, I mean, this movie... Like, you mentioned something about, like, a low budget. This movie should should feel more B-movie than it is. I mean, it, it certainly has B-movie qualities. Yeah, it, it does. And it's... And, but it's it, it's an, a super effective story. And I... And, I had seen the original Fly when I was younger. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. And so, so it was, and it was kind of a point of conversation in the house. Was like, you know, even though the, that movie was considered horror back in the day, I mean, it wasn't like this was like a gore fest, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. was super, super adult, right? And it's like, so it wasn't. It was interesting that um, you've seen remakes of kind of classic horror films, and they still stay somewhat true to that sort of vibe, I guess. This was, I mean, this was a whole, a whole different animal. And like I said, just really effective. Uh, It's economical with how the pacing goes. Uh, The character development's really good. The pacing of this film is, is right in my wheelhouse. I really like this kind of thing. It didn't over rely on jump scares. I thought that the most horror element of the film was him just kind of quietly saying you need to leave because i'm probably gonna hurt you if you don't yeah and it was very sort of (laughs) it was it was just very menacing but in a way that thought he's losing control and i don't really feel all that scared for her right now i just know that she needs to leave (laughs) you know right yeah, and I and that that's I think really I think that's a really good point. It's like lots of, of like pretty good effects, especially for the time in terms of the gore, um, and it's unsettling. But the yeah the the fear was his sort of rocky journey going through it because initially he's like he's just fired up on it, and then he wants everybody to be like like he's totally drugged out, and he and he wants people to be on that same mm-hmm. drug that he's on, mm-hmm. and then and then like he starts to come to realization. Uh, and, but even then, like he has these moments where it's like, oh, this is, this is really bad. But it's, oh no, I'm getting better. This is something even, even more, you know, and it just, and then he becomes desperate, right? He's like, okay, well I can, if I can put another person in there, yeah, then, then I can, it's sort of like, he kind of takes the golden doodle approach, you know, if I just keep on adding more poodles, it'll be more hypoallergenic <laughs> as time goes on. <laughs> golden bloomble. <laughs> Brundle, <laughs> Brundle Doodle. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, yeah, as far as the elevator pitches go, this is a really easy one to pitch. It's such a simple concept, you know. Jeff Goldblum's the fly. It's like, do you <laughs> do you want to see Jeff Goldblum somehow become more Goldblumy? <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, 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 that's impossible. What you're describing, of course, is a million-dollar idea. It cannot be done. You cannot take Jeff Goldblum and and take his essence and then make him more Goldblumy. It's impossible. 
Well, and he does. I mean, I was really impressed at how well he plays uh, the fly, even when he's like caked in makeup or maybe even just doing voice. Um, he he doesn't. I just even when he's going over the top as as being like super hyper, you know, fly wanting sugar. It's still, it's still, he sells it. <laughs> it doesn't ever feel uh, over the top. It's like he's earnestly playing the fly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, as far as the acting in this movie, like he goes over the top at times, but he, there's so many different stages. It's like every single time mm-hmm. you go into that apartment, you're going to see a different version of his take on a fly. And it's, I mean, there's got to be seven or eight stages of this so that when he does go over the top, you're like, well, of course. I mean, we've we've seen this scripted. We knew it was going to become this eventually. Right. Um, but you have that whole thing where he's like, he's just manic. He's manic for a while, and he's just super horny for a while, and then he's just <laughs> he's gonna... then his Then his wiener falls off, and then what are you going to do? <laughs> he's... He, he's gonna but barf. He he's gonna barf on a donut. Like that's dude. That was the funniest. That was so funny. That was like, I mean, like a genuine says, laugh out loud moment. He barfs. Oh. He barfs on the donut. He just re- looks down. And he's like, oh, hmm, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's so funny when he says, "Huh, oh, disgusting." It's just, it's it, like I said. You could play. I mean, to be able to play that scene. With such a heavy laugh in such a subtle way, I mean, it's it's incredible what he what he pulls off. He's like even equal parts disgusted with himself, but also fascinated. Like, like there's a big part of this film where he's just fascinated with his own monstrosity, mm-hmm. and which totally totally seems on brand with the character, yes, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, it's he accidentally invented this. He was working on something else. Now he's invented this, and now he's obsessed with this invention. And the invention is his own decay. Well, for a while, he thinks he's sort of found a new stage of human evolution or something. Right. Well, because he doesn't know he's a fly, and, and right? he just wants everyone to to sort of be the super Superman. He's he, for a while, he's Superman. Yeah, because he thinks just the just the uh, the teleportation itself causes this feeling this this uh you know rush this the invincibility to some degree do you think this movie is i i think that we're sort of both totally in the bag for the concept of this movie mm-hmm. how do you feel about the execution because at times i did feel well, like it was a bit b movie yeah and i but here's the thing is I, I i i think it had to be right i mean i i don't it'd be really i was thinking about like uh, like, okay, this is a remake, obviously. And I'm like, well, could you, what would you do if you try to remake this? Like, would you, would you try to remake the original? Would you just go from the straight short story? Or would you, would you feel like you're leaping off of remaking this film? And I don't know how you can avoid a movie where, where a man is turning into a fly and say, well, we're going to not make it be movie. I mean, just just mm-hmm. in its very nature, right? I don't think you can separate the the notion, um, and because whenever you have a film where we're like, I mean, we talk about werewolves a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's real hard to make a a werewolf movie not 
feel like a werewolf movie. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of baked into it, right? right. So so I and I, I and I think one of the reasons why I appreciated it even more is when it fell into the B movie category, I felt like, good. Don't don't shy away from that part of it, right? Like so when he comes leaping into the uh like the the doctor's you know operating room initially like i'm kind of like well this took an odd turn but then also i'm like (laughs) yeah "Yeah, take that turn of course because i mean if it becomes too melodramatic you know and and having not seen the shape of water my guess is that like that's what kind of del toro is is trying to do is trying to unbe movie um something like that and it sounds like it worked i haven't seen it yet um but I like that that Cronenberg just leans in, and uh, and I think it and and it, and I and I think it still worked. And I th- I think even those scenes where he's like now he's like he's very you know I mean classic horror movie right grab the uh, the woman like you yeah. know and jump out the building and it's like and to me that almost felt um, less of like a shtick and maybe more of a of a nod to to an older yeah type maybe of so right? and and it helps that it is you know, based on a movie like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So I kind of felt like, um, it was reimagined, but not completely, uh, re- repurposed. Right. So it's interesting. I think that a lot of horror does explore the duality in man. Right. And I think we see that mm-hmm. with like Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde and, you know, the incredible Hulk and these werewolf business, you know, th- these bits of, werewolf lore that we find around and for me this movie was something distinctly different than that uh i think that this is not the sort of the duality of man this is more like an exploration of hybridity right he doesn't oh yeah he doesn't sort of like become a fly and then like you know when when the moon goes behind the clouds or something become a man again (laughs) And so now he has got to deal with the fact that he's two different creatures with two different, you know, sets of drives. He's actually, it's like the DNA is actually spliced in a way where he's becoming something altogether different because these two different things are have merged, right? It feels more like schizophrenia than it does a superpower. Sure. Yeah, I think so. And on top of that, I think that this idea that you know she's eventually pregnant and he thinks, okay, this is a way for me to recover my humanity. Um, I'm just going to merge her, me, and this baby in a way so that I can sort of become more human. Right, where you can see how far his mind has devolved at this point. Uh, it's he's he's mad scientist crazy at this point. Right, yeah. So he's desperate, but at the same time, he's he's his own cognitive abilities have got to be shifting. Right, right. And what ends up happening is, so he wants to merge this three into one thing. And I don't know if there's a trinitarian thing going on or not, but he ends up merging three things into one. Eventually, he merges himself the fly and the actual machine yeah into a single monstrous thing i mean i think that that brings out sort of one of the main themes of the movie and that is you know this is a guy that 
he wasn't really comfortable in his human experience anyway. He was always sort of married to his work anyway. Mm, and right. um and now he's become the monster that you know that that he was always going to become, I suppose. Yeah, and I yeah, I, I think that's a really well put, especially cuz that that end is I think important that his experiment was already killing him. So it's not like that was the final death blow. He was he was in the process of death, but then in this obsession with not just the, I mean, there is like, not just the idea of like, okay, I got to get better, but he, it's still like he had faith in his uh, experiment mm-hmm. and faith in his creation that I can still use this to, to save me. Mm-hmm. Um, like almost like it, it, in a way it kind of feels like he's trying to change the perspective of, of what he's done and that what he's done isn't, isn't bad for humanity. It's, it's actually still a benefit. Um, well, and you know, and he's he's up he's upsetting physics yeah, and, yeah. and and the whole thing. There is almost this god complex. And so when you mentioned sort of your trinitarian thing, it's almost like he becomes this perverse, absurd trinity, right? Uh, in his attempt to to try to elevate himself. Yeah, I mean, initially he thinks that this is going to make him a better human, right? He's going to make it's going to give him more energy. It's going to give him super strength. He's really trying to become this uber human kind of creature eventually he realized it's made him something other than human and so he's trying to he continues to try to use the machine to become more human and of course he can't he just becomes more machine um and that was always the problem with the machine in the first place you know initially it was always going to create something more synthetic than real right it can't yeah it doesn't understand yeah it's going to try to translate humanity and of course i think that this is the one of the original themes of the the short story the short story very clearly starts with the anxiety over the telephone hmm so the the main character of the story is basically saying look telephones were fine when they were affixed to one wall in the house and now you know this is ni- mid 1950s now you can just have a, a telephone in any room of the house, and they're just becoming really invasive. It's like technology is taking over the human experience in a way that's really intrusive. You know, what's next? Well, let's imagine a situation when technology fuses with humanity in a way that makes human beings monstrous. Right. So I think that that's kind of, and it's interesting to me that that was the original theme of the, the short story in the 1950s, because of course the telephone has become so much more in, integral to the human experience. Yeah, and it's interesting too that the part of his motivation is the fact that he gets motion sickness and uh, and traveling makes him vomit, and yet he creates this machine that <laughs> ends up by design making it he has to vomit. He has all to the time. vomit to eat. <laughs> I, Dude, that scene where he's where he's vomiting and uh, burning Stavros's hand yeah. and leg. Good night. <laughs> just <laughs> so gross. It's it's disgusting because it's just white. Yeah, and I don't know what they did to make the Stavros character always look like John Ritter uh, from Skin Deep, but they <laughs> nailed it. They put the John Ritter entire in time. Machines. The entire time, I'm like, this guy's going to trip over a couch. I just know it. And it's like, oh, no. it's Hey, what's the deal with... Okay, he, so he goes into the bar, right? He goes into that... He he needs he needs a woman, basically. He's like, he's got this super human insecty sex drive or whatever. 
Sure. And so he goes mm. he goes into this seedy bar. And with like a Charleston shoe or something. He goes into he he's gonna like arm wrestle a guy, and at one point one of the guys whispers to the other guy in the bar who's about to arm wrestle him and he says, Hey, watch out, he eats chocolate bars. <laughs> what is this what is what is going on with this line? I mean, I'll tell you what. I, I've I've been to a few CD bars, and I have never in my life seen a guy sit up there and eat a chocolate bar. And now that that got brought up, and I'm like, I would not trust that at all. A guy comes in unwrapping a candy bar that he brought. Mm-mm, I'm out. I am out. Of all the things that you might be frightened of. I mean, this it's guy just, looks psychologically unstable. Yeah, it's it's just this does not belong here, right? I mean, you know, it just watch it's out the subtle things. This, this guy eats chocolate bars. Yeah, I mean, it'd be one thing. It's not like he, I would probably be less uh, inclined to think a person was crazy if they were wearing a boot on their head in a in a dive bar, but eating a chocolate bar, yeah, no thanks. Uh, how did you did you? I remember first watching that as a kid, watching the scene. Until that point in the film, you're not sure that it's a horror film, I don't think. Yeah, it feels more, it feels maybe a little more science fiction. It does feel science, absolutely feels science fiction. And then, of course, you know, he, it was that whole arm wrestling thing that results in the full on compound fracture. Yeah. And you see the bone sticking out of the skin and you realize, what? What am I watching? It take and it's 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 kind of funny how long it takes to get that turn right. where all of a sudden it That's becomes right. gory and it's like and then it's just like buckle up guys it's gonna get real weird. <laughs> you can definitely see the influence uh, on District Nine. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Yeah, pretty heavy, right? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. They're turning into a bug. That's what they called the aliens. Uh, there's definitely some similar right. uh, vibes. The the fingernails coming off. Right. Of course. That. Of course. Who do you think this movie's for? 100% for me, that's for sure. I, it, I feel like it's got to be... Uh, it's it's for horror fans, I think. Yeah, but um, I think that the first... At least the first half an hour of it is sort of a really hard sci-fi kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cause that, and that's an interesting thing, right? Because like, if you're a horror fan, you might be like, when's it going to get there? And if you're a sci-fi fan, you might be turned off by the gore factor. Yeah. I... I I think this movie did pretty well, didn't it? I mean, it seems pretty well regarded. Dude, it was reviews. well regarded. I watched an old like Siskel and Ebert review of the movie. And by the way, if you just ever want to have a fun time, just go to YouTube and watch old Siskel and Ebert. Oh yeah, clips. Oh my gosh, it's just so much fun. Yeah, those are great. Uh, Ebert love. loved this movie for sure. Um, in fact, they, I think that they pretty much agreed that this was one of the best films of the year. Which is kind of nuts, considering you know, considering the right. genre. To, yeah, the genre. Cronenberg is not. I mean, Cronenberg is a respected uh, horror director, but I I don't know how well respected he is in terms of like how he is as a filmmaker. You know, across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think I mean there was again I think there were so many really good choices, and again I think it goes right out the gate. Like you might think that you missed a part of the film with the way that they're just already talking, <laughs> right, but then yeah. you realize, but I, and I just think that there's just something 
so unconventional about it that really worked like and, and i think that sort of sets the tone a little bit like you may not even be able to figure out why it's different initially but then it just uh-huh. it just moves so well well the first left turn that's really helpful to me at least is this idea that where okay first it's like this guy's cracked teleportation right so and you're thinking about all the uses and like how is this going to be revealed to the public and it's really a story about a scientist who's sort of making this breakthrough that's going to change the world. Uh, at that point, there's e- there's not even a suggestion that he is, you know, th- this is sort of a hybrid kind of movie. I mean, even the baboon thing at the beginning is it's it's pretty horrific to see that baboon yeah, turned inside out. But when they take that left turn, and you realize, okay. I see what this actually is. Just a really effective reveal. And that's saying something because the movie is called The Fly. And it's based on a previous movie. So you kind of know where it's going to go. So the fact that they can get me all interested in this whole teleportation thing at the beginning is kind of remarkable. Right. And that that is an interesting thing that, that this film has going for it, either good or bad, is most people know the source material, right? So there's an expectation. So to some degree, I think I like that maybe that that Cronenberg realizes that, and that's why he starts the film the way he does. He's like, look, yeah. you you guys know this is the fly. Right. I'm gonna show right. every, every. Yeah, movie. that's. But good. I mean, I like that. But I don't have to sit there, and we don't have to go. You know, he'll he'll we'll we'll explain how we got there if that matters to you. Uh-huh. But in many ways, yeah, I mean, I like, and I I think that that's what I like about it is that it doesn't. Um, Frankenstein you from a film perspective it almost Frankensteins you from the novel perspective where sure the the how is less important than the what right that's the, right the, and so and so the 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 dealing with the monstrosity dealing with the the effects of of creation or upsetting the the natural order of things is way more important than how we got there. And I mean, he explains a little bit, but it's just, it's already exists. The, the pods already exist and they're already functioning right. to some degree. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's just, that's just awesome to me. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, cause I, <laughs> if there's anybody sitting there going, yeah, but I mean, I just don't understand how it, I mean, it doesn't really like, you're not, it's, you're not supposed to, to analyze it this way. We're just, this, this is a game called what if, yeah. What sure. if you could do this? What would happen? And that's that's what really good sci-fi's do, I think. And you know, they get you to think about like the consequence. What is the consequence? You know, if we if we if this was a reality, you know, if we could just tweak this one little bit of technology, how would this change us? And that that's what this movie does really great. I mean, they could have just made this into a sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um if they wanted to do that. Yeah. Well, you could argue that it 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 maintains sci-fi, right? I mean, it it's it's a horror sci-fi. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't. It, it's it's a, a a hybrid, if you will. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why they have to. Why? Why? You know, it like it like it. Well, I, it, guess I think what it I'm saying is being hard sci-fi, yeah. and then it become and it becomes more horrific. That uh, I mean. Well, I guess so, what I was so saying is the like more the more horrific it becomes, the more B movie-ish it is. I think. Mm-hmm. And it could have probably tried to skip that stuff. But I think it, it's fine. I mean, it's it's fine the way it is. 
I'm almost glad that this movie was done before CGI stuff. I agree. I think I, 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 that was a big takeaway for me too, is because I, I didn't really feel like the effects took me out. Um, there were a couple times. I mean, like, like the the thing. Let me just tell you the things that really worked for me were just the subtle stuff, like the nails coming out, the teeth coming out, the him on the ceiling, like crawling around like like a house fly. Yeah. That kind of stuff was so much more effective than the actual sort of monster that he becomes at the end. Oh, I get you. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, well, the the rubbery suit. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I I, I could see that. Um, but you know, then I was able to put on my this is 1986. You know, be cool, kind of. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, was there one tweak that you would make to this movie to improve it? Um, you know, no, I don't think so. I, I'm, I think it might be the perfect horror film. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, I think it just, and I'll tell you one of the other things that we didn't, we didn't talk about. And I think one of the, the reasons why I really, really like it is the Stavros character is a hero that never, I mean, like who, who does something heroic, but he's not a hero. You know uh-huh. what I mean? It's like. I liked I was so it was such an interesting choice to make him the guy that sort of saves the day but I mean he goes through it I mean he goes through some stuff yeah. and <laughs> and but he was, and he was never but he like he was an, he was so flawed and so unlikable I just really thought that was that to me was just so fascinating uh-huh. and because it didn't resolve anything, right? Like it's not like all of a sudden now he's he's necessarily redeemed. He's just it just I don't know for some reason that just that really got to me. And I think there's so many choices that um, that yes, while it did kind of have its B movie romp, um, and again I go like, like I said, I think that that actually is intentional, and I think it actually is effective. Um, there were a lot of really uh, clever and choices that i don't think i've really seen in a lot of horror films. yeah yeah uh, and and it made the whole thing feel uh really fresh which is odd for a remake right i mean that's especially a remake that i mean you have the one nod where he, where he says help me right like that's sure quoting from the the end of the fly um but uh or the original fly but uh, yeah i i don't I mean, I'm sure you could say tidy up this effect, and but I just think that they made so many bold choices that really worked. Uh, I, yeah, I, I I loved it the first time I saw it last year, so that's kind of something too. I don't have a uh, a nostalgic connection to this film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so to sit and like when I first saw it, I was like, that was pretty moving, and I was pretty into it. And I can't believe I'm actually like invested in this whole thing. And then I watched it again, you know, for this podcast, and I was I. I, I I liked it even more. So in the uh, original short story, it's a little bit more clunky in that it's one of these things where the guy gets a fly head and then the fly gets the human head. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, that, so that's a little bit yeah. more like the original film, right? Right. For sure. And so that seems a little goofy, right? But and i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't want them to do that but the one thing that was 
kind of cool in the short story is that because the guy gets the fly head, he can no longer communicate like humans will do, like hearing voices and then, you know, using language. And so if the guy wants to communicate with his wife, he kind of has to uh, like type out his thoughts and the wife can like communicate by like knocking three times for yes and twice for no. So he can feel the vibrations of yes and no. Hmm. I thought that was kind of a cool, cool little uh, original part of the original story that they could have implemented. But he does kind of become more of a monster than an actual fly, sort of at that midpoint. It isn't until sure. like at the very end when he's just the you know full full on weird pink Wolf. yeah fly creature. Um, was there one? trope device cliche that worked for you um i i really liked uh <laughs> the uh i liked the the manic goldblum <laughs> scenes sure. um yeah. <laughs> even though i think i didn't necessarily want to for whatever reason um just pounding on the table he's just super agitated it's like i was like you know what um flies do seem like that <laughs> Like I look at a fly, just like if you ever just look at a fly looking at you moving and things like that, you just look at it like what? <laughs> <laughs> I really like the scene where he. Um, well, there are two things that really work. One of the scenes where he says, "You have to leave," because if you don't, I'm I'm going to hurt you if you stay. Right. So that was to me that really was effective. The other thing that was definitely something that I'd seen before. But at the very end, she's got the shotgun and she points it at, you know, her former lover, basically, who's now a monster. Right. And he just kind of holds the barrel up to his face. Yeah. He can no longer communicate. You know, it's not the, you know, please kill me kind of thing, which you have seen in a million horror films, right? Right. Just the moving of the barrel just to indicate, yeah, I'm still in here. And you're absolutely going to have to kill me. I thought that was really effective. Well, and that's, you know, and it does kind of bring you back to the original film where, like, you hear the little, help me, and there's a little man fly mm-hmm. stuck in the web. And <laughs> and that's how you help him, right? You, you got The only way you can help him now is to just eliminate him. <laughs> um, is this movie better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? Uh, it's it's a... It's a Howard plus five easy. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. I was going to go like Howard plus two. Howard doesn't. Just because it's so B-movie. It's, there, there's bits of it that are pretty B-movie. But as far as horror films go, like you said, it's almost the perfect horror film. Just I, Howard, Howard does not start the film the way Cronenberg does. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just, it, it's it's really something. Um well, and it's not it's not Goldblum. It's definitely Tom Hanks, right? Right. It's somebody. It's somebody else that you're supposed to be more sympathetic with, right? I think is really what it comes down to. Because I, the thing is, you do, you know, you, you do feel sorry for him, but but there are moments, like you said, he's he's very menacing, and you're you you're not really on board with him. And then his whole as he decays, even though he goes through these different cycles, his end plan is still not. Not good. <laughs> it's not good for anybody. <laughs> so it's uh and and he's you know he's 
throwing up all over, uh, you know, not Ritter and, uh, and <laughs> the use of vomit in this film yeah, it's so good is it's so horrific. Yeah. Is this, is this the worst? I mean, I guess you have the iconic exorcist vomit scene, right? Right. But the vomit isn't actually the thing that is the the most. It's like the weapon. It's right. Like weaponized yeah. vomit. <laughs> weaponized vomit. I like that. That'd be a good trivia team name. <laughs> is there is there a uh, is there a half the battle one to grow on moment in this film? Uh, take the train. <laughs> we we can slow this down, okay? <laughs> we don't need to transport each other. That's right. Getting there is half the fun. I was thinking, like, just don't do your experiment on yourself while you're drunk. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it really, and I love that idea that, like, this whole thing just kind of, because he feels jilted. <laughs> he does. He feels like this is the first woman that I've actually had a connection with. And we've had sex, what, like, like 14,000 times now. <laughs> She leaves for 10 minutes, and he's thinking, well, fuck it. (laughs) Steve, do you want to do some feedback? Got some feedback to cover? All right. This is from Hannah. Hannah writes, hey, guys, this is a request for an update on Heather's dog grooming contest. I feel like we were all left in suspense. If she slash Steve is willing to share, I am weirdly invested in Heather's success and would love to know how she did. Also still really enjoying all the podcasts you're doing, so thank you. Looking forward to season two. Thank you, Hannah. I appreciate that. Now, Hannah's referencing, I think, I don't I forget which podcast it was, but you were in L.A. at a dog grooming competition. Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, Heather took second place in um, the for her uh, groom of a soft coated Wheaton. Mm. Um, Not too shabby. Yeah, it's pretty good considering she wasn't really all that. She hadn't done a lot of those grooms. Um, then when she did the freestyle with Laddie and uh, the poodle with Kiddo, she did not place, and uh, I, I almost made a scene. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I, I think there was some sort of... I think there was an error in the poodle one. I think that they actually made a mistake because, uh, you know, and I don't know. And, and forgive uh, if there's somebody that's listening to this podcast that was uh, in the competition or maybe even being the person I'm about to talk about. Um, but the person that won, mm-hmm. oh, Lord. I was, I, I was giggling at first. I'm like, oh, how cute. He's trying and uh, then he wins, and I'm like, "All right." But he was also right next to her, so I'm 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 chalking this up to there was an error. Well, it all sounds rigged to me. I mean, I just would expect it to be rigged. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't help but think that these things are like it's it's like professional wrestling, right? It's professional wrestling, but I I would also guess that there's probably a lot of money being laundered through this situation. Yeah, that poodle was chock full of like you know unmarked bills. <laughs> So they take it back to take a look at it, and really they just get, put on the rubber glove and get paid. So when is the next uh, round or the next uh, the next competition? competition? Yeah, it'll be Super Zoo in August, and we're going to Vegas, baby. Super Zoo. Yeah. All right. Well, Vegas in August is not a great. 
I am not looking forward to it. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to go to Vegas anytime. <laughs> um, but August sounds like it might be the worst possible option. <laughs> well, I, I hope she wins. I hope it's, I hope it's worth it. Well, that's the hope, right? The hope is that it's worth it because we're going to be driving. So mm-hmm. that's fun. Um, and um, Driving with how many dogs in the car? At least three? Well, at least at least one. I don't know if we're taking uh, any more, to be honest. We might take Laddie just for moral support. <laughs> okay. All right. Excellent. So <laughs> Super Zoo. Looking forward to Super Zoo in August. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is an Apple iTunes reviewer, DJ Jazzy Swain. Mm. Mm. I don't know about you, but I think that this sounds suspiciously like a friend of ours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously trying to, to be incognito, but at the same time clearly drawing attention to himself so he recognized. That, yeah. And that seems very on brand for our friend. Yes, that's right. And DJ Jazzy is sort of a... I don't know. It's sort of a timely handle there because Will Smith has been in the news. Yeah, so this was much. actually. I think. I think this was posted before the the Will Smith news. So is that right? I believe so. I believe so. It's a little bit of prophecy on behalf of oh, our fantastic our, our friend here. Anyway, he says they're both comedians and academics, if you ask me, and I love what they're both doing. It could be that this is not our Swain. It could be a different Swain, right? Could be. In which case, I should just be thankful that they wrote a review, right? Right. Especially if we end up with, like, we if we were in a situation where we were one review away from, like, winning a toaster or something. Because like, I don't know how iTunes works. <laughs> I'm sure that there's toasters being won all over the place. Yeah, they're iToasters. Yeah, why not that? I'd love to control my toaster from my phone. I, I sure you can. I mean, toasters seem like. I mean, I mean, I guess we have toaster ovens, but the toaster itself is there anything new under the sun with a toaster? Toaster's kind of like toilet paper. Well, there's options. Yeah, the options are you want it burnt or do you want it not so burnt? <laughs> but we're going to put things like bagel on it. Like, mm, okay. Got me on that one. Like, it knows it's a bagel. Now, would you like it better if it was called Texas Toast? If they had a Texas Toast option where yeah. it's just like, I, I want a converter. I want to take my regular California toast and turn it into Texas toast. That's what I want. I want Brundle toast. You want Brundle toast. Of course you do. (laughs) All right. right. This is an email sent from Dollywood Doppelganger. All right. So Dollywood Doppelganger writes. So this this person looks like the, the theme park Dollywood? I think that if we saw this person, we would be like, oh, my gosh. Is that? The Dollywood theme park walking over to me and, and actually speaking. Uh-huh. I think that this is going to become clear if you allow me to read the email. No, I'm sorry. We don't have time. Hello, Anthony. To avoid having to look up sp- the spelling of cocoons, I'm sending this to the wrong email address. I do not apologize. So just right off the bat. <laughs> right off the bat. just That's amazing. In yesterday's Severance Pod, Steve noted that the premise of the show is sort of like cloning without the cloning. My question is, why not? Wouldn't cloning be another way to explain the room full of humans who never leave? What if Miss Casey is a clone of Mark's wife? In other words, her death wasn't faked. This would also explain the room full of goats. 
thoughts? Question mark. What do you think about this? Well, okay, that's an interesting theory, right? Because the argument to that would be like, well, but how does how do they have a woken up Audi, right? Um, the suggestion being that there's an Audi that that what goes to sleep during work, and then the clones or the clones just keep doing what the clones do, and we don't know. Or if maybe that these are dead people. Up. Maybe they've they've taken the DNA from dead people and they've cloned them and put them underground. So what about the and the Audis are also clones? I don't know. I honestly, I don't, I'm not sure where to go with this. Here's my here's my take on this. I don't think that Miss Casey is a clone, Dollywood doppelganger, because they did this whole experiment to see if they would recognize each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they were doing the whole experiment where they're sitting in the room, they're sort of testing to see whether or not they remember each other, and they don't. It seems to be what they're trying to achieve. Whereas if she's a clone, I sort of, I guess a clone that was sort of aged up and like they aged, they sped up the aging process for this person or whatever. They wouldn't need to do that. It seems to me. So I don't know. I mean, that's, it's a, it's an interesting idea. I don't know if I'm going to go in for the cloning part of this. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's it would be like I said, it would be an option if it i mean I, I, it would seem to undercut the um i mean the, the idea that everybody else is a clone too like it would mm-hmm. seem to undercut the um the dynamic of the Audi and the innie and the forgetting and showing up into the you know sure um unless it's activated right unless there's just they're programmed like that chip is well here's the other thing about this is that now, now that I'm thinking about this. There would be a use for that storyline in the show. Let's say you have a clone and you're able to age the person up. But how do you give that thing a personality? You're going to have to have digitized the memories Mm. of a person and inserted those memories into a brain. So maybe that's the sort of the... I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I don't know if that's where the show's going, but it would be an interesting twist, I suppose. I did have another theory today, Steve. I want to run past you, severance-wise. So these guys are rounding up numbers that like have emotional triggers, right? Right. So they see a group of numbers that to them feel scary or happy or something like that, and they, they sort of take these numbers and they refine the set so that the numbers go away. What if they are actually mining their own memories? Hmm. What if the numbers on the screen represent their mapped brain? And the reason why there's emotions attached to them is that they, they're actually Getting rid of those scrolling memories. over a memory that they have of being scared. Hmm. Interesting. And so without knowing it, and they're the only people that can do it because they're actually like experiencing the emotion. And they're trying to get rid of the scary numbers, right? They're trying to, well, they're, they're putting it in four different slots. Right. I think scary's one of them. I think that, you know, there, there's three different emotions. I forget which ones. But what if they are actually refining their own or purging their own personal history? That's interesting. What that would do is that would make Severance the entire 
the entire thing that Lumen does, right? The, it's these humans the, yeah, re, are actually reprogramming. the product, right? Yeah, and then in, and to some degree, you're re, you are reprogramming yourself without knowing it. I I don't know if that's what's happening, but it would it would make it interesting if that's the way that they were going. Yeah, that's yeah, because that would actually give it purpose because it does just feel like busy work, like the whole thing is an experiment. It's like just give them the numbers, and but if they have some sort of emotional response, the, there has to be something attached to it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting mystery. I don't really know how to explain it, so this is the best I've come up with. Um, and I think that that's all for this week. If you have any feedback for us, you can send that to cocoons of horror at gmail.com. If you want to do a little homework for next week, we will be covering Pan's Labyrinth. And this is a movie that I wasn't a big fan of the first time. I'm actually really looking forward to watching it a second time around. And you like this movie, right, Steve? I do. Uh, and again, I've only seen it once. So this could be interesting, right? Like I, we could rewatch and we could cross. Yeah, we could go different directions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I I really liked it, and um, we have not rewatched it uh, because it makes Heather too sad. But she said she's willing to give it another shot. She's always wanted to watch it again. I think she, this might give her the uh, the push she needs. Absolutely. All right. So yeah, next week, Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.